0: Are there things in your life right now that are causing you to stumble? What are they, and are you willing to get rid of them? In Mark chapter 9, at the end of the chapter, Jesus gives a serious warning about things that stumble. We need to listen, and we need to know what they are and how to deal with them. That's today on Walk in Truth Radio. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Things that stumble, Mark 9, verse 42. Now, the backdrop, just uh, before we get into the verses, is that the disciples have been arguing about which one of them would be the greatest. And they had been talking about this on the way from, it appears from Caesarea Philippi at the base of Mount Hermon, all the way to Capernaum, which is in the kind of northern part of the Sea of Galilee. They were having this discussion and Jesus was listening in and finally when they got to the house that appears to be the location, Jesus said, hey, on the way, what were you guys talking about? And remember the response was silence. That's always an indication that you got caught doing the wrong thing when you can't even give an answer and mum was the word, and they had been talking about which one of them would be the greatest, and Jesus is going to break into a teaching about things that stumble us with the backdrop of their pride. Their pride was potentially stumbling one another, and Jesus was in a house at this point. That's what Mark's gospel says. He took a child, probably one of Peter's kids. Peter was married, by the way, and he brought the child to him. The child may have been a toddler, probably under five years old, and he said unless you become like this child you will not enter the kingdom of heaven you must you must humble yourself and if you think about all the best in children there's no pretense there's humility there's trust and that's what Jesus was saying you need to humble yourself your pride is going to get you in trouble let's pick up the account in mark 9:42 things that stumble And he says, and whoever causes one of these little ones, he may still be pointing to the little child. Scholars believe little ones either means a little child, like a young believer, or it could mean a new believer. And remember, uh, just in the context, it was John who said, there's somebody who's using your name to cast out demons. And Jesus says, "Don't, don't hinder him. He who is for us is what? Not against us. It's okay, we're not an exclusive club here. If he's doing the right thing in my name, don't hinder him. It's not just about you guys he's got this child. He's probably even pointing to the child right now. And he says, whoever, verse 42, Mark 9, causes one of these little ones who believe or believe in me to stumble. The word stumble there is the word "scandalito" or scandalon. It's where we get the idea of a scandal. It's where we get the idea of someone falling down or falling into sin who believe in me to stumble. It would be better for that for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck He had been cast into the sea. Now, you want to talk about a sobering wake-up call for the disciples who had just been arguing about who was the greatest, and Jesus said, look out, watch out for stumbling blocks. In fact, if there's a person who stumbles, one of these little children who believe in me and causes them to fall or sin or turn away from my kingdom or from my the hope that I have that I bring to the world, It would be better if that person had a heavy millstone hung around his neck and he was cast into the depth of the sea. Now, a millstone here was something that was used widely in ancient Israel for the grinding of grain. And a millstone was a huge thing. It was a huge boulder-like thing that could only be pulled by a beast of burden, so don't think of a millstone as something that you could just do with your hand. It was something that was pulled by a donkey and the millstone would move around and it would crack open grain and in some cases at least a form of this particular uh, thing that was used would open up olives to bring the olive oil out of the olives. And the, the uh, disciples were very familiar with this picture because when you read commentaries and you look at a little history on what's going on with the millstone and Jesus is, uh, uses this in several of the gospels, They say that people in the Roman Empire were punished this way. The Romans crucified people, and the Romans also would put heavy millstones around people's necks, and they would drown them in this particular region in the Sea of Galilee. This is the ancient form of the modern cement shoes. And if you know anything about that, you know that's kind of some mafia language. When they wanted to kill somebody, they would actually put cement on that person, tie it to them, and throw them into a sea, and they would drown. They had no way to come back up. And so when Jesus says it would be better if a heavy millstone be put around the neck of this person, there's actually an ancient case that was uh, uh, com- contemporary to their time of a man named Judas the Galilean. He was an insurrectionist. That means he rose, up, he raised up people against Rome and the Roman government, and they took him in the apostles' time, and they put a heavy millstone around his neck and drowned him in the sea. And when you think about the image of what that means, that means they put a huge kind of boulder-like thing upon him, and he would be struggling. They cast him into the sea. He'd be fighting it and struggling it as he went down to the depths and darkness of the ocean. And eventually he might you know, be found later bobbing with the currents, as it were. This was a terrible way to die, and it was a penalty carried out by the Roman government. And Jesus said, if one person hinders one child who's trying to come to me or believe in me, it would be better for them if they died in this fashion than hinder one little child who's trying to come to me. And I tell you what, if you're a disciple sitting at that table listening to that lesson, you have to take a deep gulp. Now a person came to me after first service and said, Pastor Michael, who is the primary audience here? (laughs) I would like to know. Is the Lord addressing believers? Is this possible for a believer to do? Well, we're told in the New Testament that believers can potentially stumble one another by, uh, you know, food choices and what they eat and drink and days of worship and that kind of thing. But that's more secondary. I think who's really being addressed here, if you think about it, is probably the main target audience is probably Judas. And it is probably the Pharisees. The Pharisees were trying to dissuade belief in Jesus as Messiah. They were attributing his miracles to Beelzebub, the prince of demons, and Judas was already being manipulated by Satan. He was a devil from the beginning, and Jesus said of Judas, listen to this language, it would be better for him, think of it would be better if a heavy millstone be around his neck, it would be better for Judas had he never been born. Wow. That's sobering, and Judas was there. And I wonder if Jesus snuck a look at, G- at Judas when he was saying these words. We don't know for sure. They were all listening to the teaching, but Jesus gives a very serious warning. Don't mess with little ones, whether it's new believers or little children who are trying to come to me. It would be better if you died in this capital punishment fashion than to do such a thing. Proverbs sixteen five says, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not go unpunished, Proverbs 16, 5. And you all know Proverbs 16, 18. In fact, we can say it a little bit snarky because we know it so well. Pride goes before what? Destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. We know it. And we know the disciples were proud at this point and Jesus is trying to humble them. He's trying to convince them and show them that he had come for the purpose of laying down his life for others and they would be a potential stumbling block even to one another. Uh, Turn to Luke's gospel. Luke also records this, and it's interesting. Note, uh, Luke 17, just go to your right, the next gospel, Luke 17. Note the context here, Bible students, coming off the heels of the teaching of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus, the poor beggar, ends up in paradise at Abraham's side, and the rich man, who appears to be Jewish and wealthy, ends up in Hades. Jesus is giving the teaching in light of him coming to seek and save the lost. He's giving the teaching in light of the Pharisees being really uh, refusing to believe in him, refusing to, to know that God wants to reach everybody. And on the heels of that teaching about the reality of eternal punishment, here's what he says, Luke 17, one. He said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks should come. The word stumbling blocks there is skandalon. It speaks of that which ensnares, that which trips up. It even can, this word can even mean a trap set for an animal where you might uh, be a hunter and you're in the woods and you put like a piece of meat there and the animal grabs it and it becomes a trap and it ensnares him. That's the idea of a stumbling block. It's any impediment, any hindrance to your walk with Jesus. It could be an idol that's in your heart and keeping you away from the Lord. And Jesus says it's inevitable. These things are going to come, Luke 17:1, but woe to him through whom they come. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples, NIV, things that cause people to sin are bound to come but woe to that person through whom they come. Jesus pronounces a woe on that person, and a woe is not a bridge in a rock and roll song in the Bible, not a woe, woe, woe. A woe is a, uh, it's a word of pity mixed with judgment. We see the, this woe in uh, Isaiah 6, verse 5, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, the angels were saying, holy, remember, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah said, man, I was undone. He said, I'm ruined. Woe is me, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the Lord. Woe is me. You see, folks, here's what we need to remember. God is holy. God is holy. Holy, The Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 10.31 says it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now that's why the gospel is such good news. You don't want to face the judgment of God and Jesus Christ took the judgment for us. That's why he's upon the earth and he's teaching them about how God looks at life, how God looks at stumbling blocks. In Ezekiel 14 verse 3 the prophet says, uh, God speaks to the prophet and says, son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and have put right before their faces the stumbling block of their iniquity. Should I be consulted by them at all? That's Ezekiel 14, three. Bottom line, idols stumble. And Jesus says in Luke 17, two, it would be better for him, that person who stumbles a little one, if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea then he should cause one of these little ones, could be a young believer or a child, uh, uh, to stumble, or one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. This is a warning specifically against people who try to dissuade faith in Jesus Christ to people who are new believers or children, or for that matter, any believer. I think of Charles Darwin. You know, there are some anecdotal stories that say Charles Darwin uh, repented on his deathbed. And you know, uh, Charles Darwin, the stories say early in his life he was training for the ministry. But he wrote a book, and that book tried to dissuade people from belief in the God of the Bible. This goes for cult leaders who try to redefine God who, who lead people astray. This is for people who do misdirection with morals and confirm people in their lostness and say, oh, your lifestyle's okay, even though it's contrary to Scripture, and they say it for the sake of political correctness. Do you want to be able to defend your faith, what you believe in, why you believe it? We've tackled subjects like Jehovah's Witnesses the origins of Christmas. In honor of the 500th year of the Reformation, we did a two-part message on Sola Scriptura. Is the Bible alone sufficient? Is it our highest authority? Scientology. Intriguing topics that are available on the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. There'll be more to come, more exciting things to come. This is a warning against anyone, anywhere who would bring a doctrine against the God of the Bible and lead people from belief in Jesus Christ. That's pretty serious, isn't it? This would be for those who have sex trafficked little children, those who have abused little children, those who have done unspeakable, unthinkable things. And I'll tell you what, this gives me hope because the Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. And sometimes, folks, when I look at the problem of evil in the world and I say, why did that happen? Where was God when that happened? We all have those questions. Just know, God has not moved and he is going to deal with those people who abused the most helpless of our society unless they repent. That is the teaching of the Bible. And Jesus gives a stern warning, and I think his eye is probably on Judas here, probably to the uh, scribes and Pharisees who would not repent and believe in him. And he's talking about the most vulnerable of our time, or any time for that matter. And he says, look, there is an awful end. In fact, it would be better for a person to be drowned by a millstone before they do any of this stuff because instead of facing Rome, they're gonna face God. And God is a perfect judge. Now, of course, we know there's hope and there's uh, grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, but here Jesus is giving a stern warning. H.A. Ironside says, though he, Jesus, was the tenderest and most gracious man to ever walk the face of the earth, he had more to say about the awfulness of eternal punishment for the finally unrepentant than anyone else whose teachings appear in the Holy Scriptures. Close quote. Folks, Jesus believed there was a hell. I would not have the temerity to tell you there's a hell just on my own authority. I even have some struggles with the idea of eternal punishment. It's heavy, it's a heavy price. But Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven and he talked more about the reality of hell than all the biblical writers. And so if Jesus talked about it, we would do well to consider it, wouldn't we? Sometimes we ask questions when we come into sermons like this and we say, well, is there really a heaven? And deep down in our hearts, we we may ask questions like that. Is there a heaven? Am Am I gonna see that loved one again? Well, we also ask questions like this. Is there a hell? And on what authority can we say for sure that there's a hell? Well, Jesus believed there was a hell and Jesus warned people not to lead the little ones astray. In Matthew 18, if you go to Matthew 18, the first gospel, we have another parallel account of this. Matthew 18 is a chapter filled with um, lessons about forgiveness, church discipline, uh, forgiving one another, not stumbling each other, etc. And here's what Jesus says. This is Matthew 18. Look at, go back to verse 4. Matthew 18, 4. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Now, there's the opposite blessing for those who reach out to little kids. I, I mentioned Sunday school teachers last week, but you may be involved in ministry where you support someone who's in a country, maybe a child, and you, you give a monthly donation so that the child can eat and be exposed to the gospel. Praise God. The Bible teaches that you're gonna be rewarded for that. So this is Matthew 18, verse six. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble... It is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling blocks come. Now back to Mark's Gospel and we'll pick it up right there. So Jesus obviously has their attention and hopefully he has our attention as well. I think his primary audience again about stumbling people is to unbelievers uh, even professors hostile to the gospel. I think of our our college students who grow up in the Christian church, they go to a secular university, and I'm told by them today, and maybe some of you have experienced this, that there's many professors who are hostile to Christianity, hostile to the gospel, make our young people feel like they're stupid and try to marginalize them because they believe in the Christian faith, But which, by the way, was the foundation of the country in which they teach. Hello? But today, that's what's going on in the world. Today, they want to marginalize the Christian and the Christian faith. And Jesus is gonna give a solution about all these problems. Here's what he says. This is the solution. Hang on, because it's gonna get a little tougher. He says, and if, 43 Mark 9, if your hand causes you to stumble or sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire. Now, three times Jesus mentions in these few verses the concept of hell. If you're curious, the Greek word here for hell is Gehenna, Gehenna. It's not Hades. Hades uh, appears to be the temporal abode of the dead. That's mentioned in Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. Gehenna seems to be the final place, the final Uh, place of judgment, the lake of fire, if you will. This is Gehenna, this is the second death. Jesus calls it, notice at the end of verse 43, the unquenchable fire. The picture here is a fire that continues to burn, but it's not a purifying fire. Here it's a fire of judgment. And Jesus says, look, if your hand's causing you to sin, cut it off. Now, let me say right here, I'm gonna park here, just so you guys are clear, he is not speaking literally. Okay, I want that to be as clear as I can say it. There's a story in the history of the church of a man who took this so literal that he cut his hand off. And he was pleased with himself. That's not what God wants. There's, there's a story of Origen, who's one of the well-known church fathers, who had himself emasculated in the light of these verses. I do not recommend that, just so you know. <laughs> I sure hope that's not what it means. And it's not what it means. Jesus is using extreme language, but the problem is not so much my hand, the problem is my heart. That's where everything, that's where all the problems come from. Look, you can go up on a mountaintop and you could put a robe on and just have the Bible in front of you for the rest of your days and you're still gonna struggle with sin because sin is in our members. It, it's, it's a problem of the heart, What God is saying, and I think what Jesus is doing by using this extreme language is that in a lot of our cases, here's what happens. Sin that so easily entangles us, things that stumble us so easily become such a part of us, please listen well, that it's almost like they're our hand. We're so used to going things going to things that stumble us. We're so used to taking ways out that are not the best for us that it's almost like that thing, that solution, that fleshly appetite, that way of escape becomes so part of us that it's almost like it's become our hand. And here's the implication of the language. In order for that thing to go, it's going to be painful. You have to what? Cut it off which implies that if you're going to be serious about solutions in your spiritual life, you're probably going to have to face some real pain in order to really get rid of things, and we all know that we faced the reality of this, that sometimes we've looked at our lives, and I'm a personal testimony. The first four or five years of my Christian life, I had a lot of baggage. God was pointing out things to me, saying, Michael, that needs to go. That needs to go. If you wanna serve me, if you wanna preach, that needs to go, and it was a struggle, folks, There were times when I would, maybe not say it out loud, but I'd say, I kind of like that thing. It's like a little teddy bear, like a little security blanket. Can I just keep it? And the Lord would say, cut it off. See, what's at stake here is not just your personal testimony among people. It's not just the purity of your walk. Those things are at stake, but it is this. God wants to use you. Did you know that? And things that hinder you literally, are things that stumble you from being used in your full capacity. Look up at the screen. It's like a runner laying on the track instead of being in the race. It's things that stumble. What are those things for you? They may be different than me, but here's the language. Jesus is saying those things, for so many people, must be amputated because they become such a part of you that they're always your go-to solution, and you must cut them off, metaphorically, spiritually speaking. Now, in some cases, Medical doctors do an amputation for a patient. They may have a disease. It may be a part of their body that something's going to spread. And so, what do they do? They literally amputate a part of the body for the overall health of the person. Here's what Jesus is saying, but he's using a physical illustration to make a spiritual point. There are things in my life that simply have to go. I can't play games with them. Illustration, you've heard it before, but here's what it is you go to your doctor. Your doctor says, we just took a blood test and you have cookies and cream ice cream flowing through your veins. How often do you eat it? And you say, oh, three times a day. <laughs> Is that a problem, doc? And your doctor says, yes, you need to lose 30 pounds. Your health's in jeopardy. You cannot eat that anymore. And you say, okay, doc, I, I wanna be healthy. And then you go down to Rite Aid and you buy the biggest tub of cookies and cream ice cream known to mankind, you shove it into your freezer. You can barely close the freezer door. And then as you walk into the, re- the kitchen, which I do multiple times a day, you hear a voice coming from your freezer. Hello. Eat me. You know you want me. And you walk by the freezer, something like this. Oh, Lord. Help me. Now, you have just played a silly game with yourself. The best thing you could have done is not buy the cookies and cream. Even more than that, maybe you need to chuck your freezer. I don't know. You see, sometimes what happens with us is we have something that's a besetting sin. It's a problem. It's it's a growth in our lives. And instead of cutting it off, we put it in a closet. Ah, uh, well, this, this used to be on the dining room table. I will now relocate it because I heard that sermon and you've got to get things out of your life. It's going to have a closet now. Really? Yeah, 20 feet that direction. See, I'm spiritual now. You go over to your closet, kind of hide it, right? What's it there for? For the next time you want to indulge? For the next time you want to go back to your sin? You see, you haven't cut it off. You just put it away for the next time you want to fall. And all God's people said, ouch. Ouch. I know. I'm with you. I got to wrestle with these things all week before I preach it to you. Anyway. Here's the point. There are things in our lives that simply need to go. One writer says, whatever in one's life tempts one to be untrue to God, must be discarded promptly and decisively even as a surgeon amputates a hand or leg in order to save a life. By cutting off or cutting out harmful practices and the things that bring us to those practices, this is the way we deal with sin. You can take, please hear me, no halfway measures with sin. Maybe you've been hearing these messages about becoming a new creation in Christ, but you're not sure that you know him. Well, the Bible encourages us that now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And so don't put it off because the Bible tells us we don't even know what a day will bring. So trust in him now. The Bible says that we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. You know, we see this reality in the scriptures of repentance and faith turning away from our sin, which is repentance. It literally means to do a 180 and turn away from sin and turn to God to do it his way instead of our way. And faith is a word in Greek, which means to put our trust in, to entrust ourselves to Christ. Now, when we do that, we're trusting in his person, his finished work on the cross and his resurrection and and trusting in him and him alone for our salvation. And that's how you become a Christian. You turn from sin and you turn to God through Jesus Christ Hey folks, it's Pastor Michael. I want to tell you about our store at walkintruth.com. If you click on the store We have a number of products up there. They're teaching products, DVDs, CDs, books that are available, all to help your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you purchase a product at our store at walkintruth.com, you help us pay for radio airtime and you partner with us, and it's a blessing in both directions. So check it out today. Go to the store walkintruth.com. Click on it. Click on the store. You'll see a number of different products. That's walkintruth.com. Click on the store today, and it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you, and we'll catch you next time on the broadcast. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.